0: Hello and welcome to the Guernsey Press Sport Podcast. We're here with new episodes every Thursday rounding up the best of Bailiwick sport. Coming up today with Guernsey cricket in the midst of a run fest we'll speak to Kobo man and scorer of an evening league tonne this week Jamie Nussbaumer about the recent glut of centuries in the local game. We'll also hear from Guernsey triathlon star Megan Chapel about her return to racing in Leeds and her hopes for the rest of the season. Plus, we'll have our highlights of the week as ever, and a preview of what's to come over the next seven days. I'm Tony Caring, with me today is Rob Batiste, how do, and Gareth the Bravo. Hi, Tony. We've got to start with the cricket, I think, chaps. There's probably been enough centuries in the last week that we could uh, we could all pick out a different century as our highlight of the week and have plenty to spare. Um, Rob, what have you made of it?
1: It's all a bit crazy, really. <laughs> to be honest, I mean, never thought you'd see um, two in a day, let alone six. Um, three in each innings on a Saturday, and then if you take in um, taking the fact that um, Ollie Nightingale, another Guernsey lad, got one in Jersey the same day, that would be seven. And the following day, there was at least one in the lower divisions. Um, it was it is incredible weekend. Um, there are certain um, <laughs> things you need to bear in mind. The game is much much different. Obviously, it was than it was. Um, 20 years ago, and um, the bats are incredible. The, the batting track is really flat at the moment, um, and I think it's fair to say, without belittling the local local bowlers at the moment, we haven't got a plethora of um, really quicks. Uh, they're, not, they're just not around. And in terms of spin bowling as well, we've got some very neat bowlers, but we haven't got a Warren Barrett to spin pick teams out. Um, yeah, so it's great to see. But um, I'd like to see um, our batsmen put on a little bit more, on, a little more under pressure.
0: As you say, there were six across two games in the weekend championship. Uh, I can't even remember who, who scored them at the end. It was a, a Nathan Letizia and Luke Letizier, uh opened, didn't they, with, a, with a, a, a massive stand for Griffins, both in yeah. Baggy Century there. And,
2: and the, the openers for the other side, the OEA, they both scored 100, Matt Stokes and uh, Charlie Birch. So that was four in that game. And then in the other game, Lucas Barker scored opening um, up for Wanderers Irregulars. He scored 100 against Kobo. And then Kobo were floundering somewhat in their reply. And Will Peatfield came in, hit
0: 130 and almost got him home. So (laughs) it was quite a remarkable day, really. Would any one of those stand out above the others from from the action you guys saw?
1: Um, No, but it was a fantastic effort by... A very spirited effort by Will Peatfield to rescue Kobo out of a dire situation. It's... It's... pretty incredible to think with the teams they've been putting out over the season in the weekend league that they've lost three out of three which they plainly shouldn't be um they need to show a bit more grit I think um in their in their batting there's plenty of stroke makers there but sometimes you need somebody who can get their head down and actually occupy the crease but by the time Will came came into it they were four down and he was playing with the tail they almost got away with it but you know really I think they I would hope they'd be looking at themselves because there's a lot of good players there and they they shouldn't be
2: losing those games. Can I just add that that was actually Will's second hundred in the space of about 10 days, because he did score one for the MCC against Sark, um, <laughs> which he, he, actually, well, he actually claimed he wasn't going to count that as part, part of his run and tally for the season, but it is two in basically a week. I think the
0: Millennium Field in Sark, actually the uh, the venue of my greatest ever innings, so 32 off about 16 balls, I think. Um, well, that probably surpasses Will's a ton. Yeah, I think so. Uh, we won't dwell on that too much. Um... Let, let it be said before we do move on, though, that um,
1: these players are, are very good players. I mean, I think we'll, we've got the top, Guernsey top 100 cricketers coming up later in the summer, and you'll find the likes of Matt Stokes, Jamie Noisbarmer, in particular, being very, very high in that, I suspect. Stokes, both players, terrific all round players, and who would have been excelled in any era in Guernsey sport. Um, but um, I, I must admit, I've got a real soft spot for Stokesy. I think he's an absolutely brilliant batsman, brilliant cricketer. And it's good to see him just maximising his um, his skills.
0: Absolutely. I'm sure lots more runs to be had this summer. Uh, Gareth, anything else you want to pick out from this week? Yeah, I just want a quick mention for um, young Rory McKenna, who
2: won the um, Island Junior Boys golf final. It was actually his fifth final on the trot. I mean, and he, he's still got two years left at the age group. So he's, he's only 16. Um, his very first final ended in um, very unfortunate circumstances when he rolled his ankle over and couldn't actually finish the match. That was against Isaac Bate. And then he's had some really good matches against Ollie Chedome in three years following. And then it's, it's a really awkward situation where you have to play your brother in the final. And young Connor has, has been playing really well recently. Got a hole-in-one on Saturday, his first one, I believe, at the um, 7th at Lancrest. Um, and he did not play badly at all on, on Sunday but Rory just showed how mature he's become now and he, he hit some fantastic shots and his, his one into 11 which is probably the, it's the hardest hole in the back nine at Lancross. it's one of the hardest holes there and it was one of those ones where there's a crowd around the green and I was following, I was with Rory as he hit it and I thought why aren't they applauding because it looked really good And they actually waited because it was so close to going in. They were waiting for it to drop and it finished about three inches away from the hole. So that's when the applause started. And I won't see a better shot all season, to be honest. But but I was really pleased that Rory managed to um, get over the line in in that one. Um, On the same afternoon, uh, a word also for Chloe Domal, who's going to be a very good player too. She retained her her girl's title against Jenny Ballet, who's who's another up and coming um, girl who's looking very promising for the future.
0: Yeah, fantastic stuff. Uh, I want to add a highlight too. Earlier this week, I popped down to the track, uh, the spiritual home, of course, of Guernsey football, where work has begun this week to rebuild uh, the iconic grandstand down there. And I think it is pretty iconic, isn't it? It's been there for for more than a century. Um, But what really stood out, I think, was speaking to Hilary Sarr from Bells, obviously someone who's put in um, a huge amount of energy, love blood sweat and tears and money um, right. into that place and yeah just his his kind of clear evident joy at finally seeing that blue uh, iron being ripped off the top there and and you know the, the the work to rebuild it had begun this this is what he told me
1: it's the atmosphere this, this ground creates that people like. All the memories of Marathis and, uh, and good Marathis are what was the atmosphere like. And it was electric. And even as late as six or seven years ago, we had a couple of big games here and the atmosphere is still there. It really creates a, a slight echo which creates uh, and close contact. And many a person will be uh, saying how this atmosphere can't be repeated anywhere else in the island. Well, after 25 years of if there's a leak up there, who went up there to do it? I went and tried to stop the leak and because you could never quite cure it. So I ended up uh, spending a lot of time uh, over the, trying to keep it dry for the spectators, even though the rust was creeping in. So, yes, seeing it come down was a beautiful day for me.
0: Yeah, and you can see some of the, the fantastic drone shots that, um, that one of our photographers, uh, Pete Franklin, took uh, over on our Facebook page and Twitter, at GSY Press Sport, and hear a bit more from Hillary as well. I mean, he is a football man through and through, and uh, Rob, oh, know, how, how indebted should Guernsey football and, and Bells be for the work he's done down there?
1: Well, Bell um haven't enjoyed too much success in the last 10 years or so, but, I mean, Hillary's um, record with the Bells goes back decades and decades he's put so so much into that club absolutely he lives and breathes it um and it must be said he's Millie, his wife is always there supporting him done fantastic things for the club as well um and without hillary's enthusiasm and um well you know he doesn't accept no he always cracks on you know and uh, he will he'll keep that go that club going as, as long as he's around. Um, but it's good to see also that in recent years he's actually allowed others or encouraged others to sort of take real responsibility. And people like Andy Robert and Chris Lefriek and many others within beyond the, in the background team are actually driving bells forward now. And um, I think they're looking forward to a, a healthy future again.
0: Well, that's the end of part one. Coming up next, we'll hear from former Island cricket captain Jamie Nussbaum. Welcome back to the Guernsey Press Sport Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, why not give us a rating or a review on whichever platform you're using uh, or give us a quick plug on social media. It all helps to spread the word. Uh, now, back to cricket. and As we've been saying, it has been a, a pretty remarkable week in the local game. Gareth and I popped down to the KG5 earlier to speak to a former Ireland captain and Cobo man, Jamie Nussbaumer. Uh, we got onto a few topics, including his comeback from injury, uh, what Guernsey cricket is getting right at the moment and his own interinsular ambitions. But I started by asking whether he's seen anything like the last week in local cricket. No, I'm not sure anyone can, to be honest with you. Um, it's hard to
3: think of a season where there's almost been six centuries in the season on weekend cricket, let alone six in one day. So it was just a bizarre day. And um, you know, just when you thought it was over, Will pops up with 130 out of absolutely nowhere and you've got your sixth century of the day. So it's, no, it's just been quite incredible. But you know, there's been hundreds in the evening league as well. And Lou obviously got one against us the other night. Um, one of our youngsters Louis Stain in the third division the other night got 100 it just seems
0: uh, yeah people are really cashing in at the minute and you popped up as well with one this week uh talk us through that was that very much in the mold of the centuries that have been scored so far this season <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh yeah obviously I was delighted to to get on on the board uh this week and um, you know it's been it was kind of on my to-do list throughout my cricketing career to try and get an evenly league hundred so it's great to do that um it's just one of those nights that you know as as a batsman you know are far and few between where You get to the crease, things start hitting the middle of the bat, and um, I was kind of off and running quite quickly. And when I got to about 50 or 60 quite quickly, I thought, wow, you're never going to get a better chance than than tonight to get that first 100. Just kind of knuckle down and uh, suck up the deep breaths (laughs) as I started to tire and uh, yeah, try and get to the end. And thankfully, I I did with a Delightful, Nick for four over the keeper's <laughs> head.
0: Yeah, look, and quite a special moment as well as you come off to to pick up Alby, your son, and to to score a century in front of him. I don't know how much you'll remember of it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was really nice. That him and you know Chloe and, and young Imi and were there as well. I mean, he's absolutely obsessed with what he calls bat ball at the minute. He just absolutely loves it. So uh, it's not been forced on him. He just, I think he just sees. You know, all the big boys playing bat ball and uh, he just wants to be part of it. And he's, he's loving it. He'll, he'll even sit with me
0: for 10 minutes and watch the test match quite quietly. So, uh, yeah, the signs are good there. Fantastic. And yeah, I mean, just in terms of this glut of centuries then, what, what do you put it down to?
3: Oh, I
0: don't know, to be
3: honest. I guess I guess it's a mixture of things. Obviously, in the weekend league when we're playing on grass, you'd have to obviously compliment the pitches and say they're obviously good batting pitches. You know, the, the college, I know, Games are being played between the college and and the KG5. We're sat at the KG5 now, and you know, the outfield looks resplendent really in the sunshine here. Um, I guess you know, you're probably getting a group of guys now, um, you know, the likes of Lua, Will, who are kind of getting to their mid to later. 20s, even up to maybe 30, And just maturing as batsmen, knowing their game better and um, just, just really knuckling down. And perhaps in previous seasons when they might have given it away, they're, they're kind of now more patient, know their game better and just
0: knuckling down and going on and getting those big scores. Do, do you think it's a sign that the batting is in rude health or that the, the bowling perhaps is weaker than it has been? No, I think it'd be harsh on the batting to criticise
3: the bowling. Uh, you know, it's always that it's that balance, isn't it? You, uh, I, th- I don't think the bowling's any weaker than in previous years you know a lot of the bowlers who have been around the last four or five years are still playing this season so I wouldn't necessarily say so I think it's probably a, a pat on the back to the batsmen really because you know going back over the years there just haven't, haven't been that amount of centuries and you know after that weekend um, people have just cashed in and you know hopefully well not against my bowling, but hopefully it continues as the season <laughs> goes on and the guys say plenty of runs in the bank for that, that inter-inch on the 23rd of August now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And there's a nice variety as well, isn't there, to the stars of batting on display, particularly in, you know amongst the guys that have got to 100 you know, from the sort of classical stroke making and sort of solidity of yeah, say, of Tony Kerr, yeah. um, of of, yeah, of Matt Stokes, and then you know Lure obviously sort of plays every other shot with a reverse bat and, and does it so well. Um, yeah, what, what do you make of the way they those guys in particular go about their business? Yeah, I mean,
3: I was I witnessed Lua's century firsthand against us, and it just one of those innings where just everything everything was out in the middle of the bat. You know, he just wherever we bowled to him, he had an answer, as you said, playing all round the wicket. Um, he's just very hard to bowl to. Stokesy, I mean, obviously got that double hundred amazingly not so long ago and then, you know, followed it up with another hundred. I think everyone, everyone's aware of what a good player Stokesy is and he's just a natural timer of the ball. You know, everything's classical, just plays through the V, just hits the bad ball. Um, whereas someone like a lure will look to probably dominate you a bit more and play a bigger variety of shots. And then the other end, you've got the sloggers like me. You just try and get away with what I can. And uh, <laughs> yeah, sometimes it works, sometimes it
2: doesn't. I want to know what was going on in the conversation between you and Deck on um, Tuesday when Deck's first scoring shot brought up the 50 partnership, which shows you that you were basically nicking all the strike.
3: <laughs> yeah, I think I must have learnt from Frithy on that one. I think he was always very good at uh, calling one on the last ball of the over. Yeah, it's just one of those things. You're just kind of in the moment, you're not even really thinking about it. Um, yeah, I couldn't even... Yeah, you don't even realise that you've taken all the strike and then come the end of the innings I was almost struggling to get on strike and I was starting to think oh god you know I haven't come all this way I'm gonna fall short almost then yes I think I think Rob said in the paper I didn't face any balls in the penultimate over and then Furby faced the first few in the last over, and I still needed three I was thinking oh god I'm gonna just go (laughs) go for it now to see what happens so yeah I was quite relieved to get over the line I don't know if anyone else has
2: changed their gloves quite as much in an evening league 100. Now, is that ner- was that nerves or was that just because
3: it was, well, awesome? no, no, it was a few things. It was hot for a start. I think I got through a couple of pairs of gloves and on the third pair of gloves, they bought me a pair that wasn't really mine. So I then asked TJ to no, go back, there's another pair in there, can you get me that one? So I think, yeah, I think it was about four changes in the end, but I think it was more of an excuse to get some water on board <laughs> yeah. as well. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely saturated. So, uh, yeah, not probably at my peak physical fitness. So, yeah. From a sort of
2: personal point of view, Jamie, how, where do you see yourself in terms of a role as a batsman now? Because I mean, your career has been sort of like, as a junior, you were sort of like a batsman. You scored 100 for the college against Victoria, your name's on that board. But you sort of then became the bowling all-rounder type. So, I mean, how how do you see yourself
3: almost going forward? Yeah, I think I've probably batted everywhere between 1 to 10, if not 11 throughout my career. As you said, through the college years and the early years, I was kind of opening batsman and wicketkeeper, and I've kind of gone full circle. I went through that stage where just bowling, I mean, to be honest, having missed so much cricket through my knee injury now, I'm just happy playing cricket. I just want to make the most out of these last few years that I've possibly got. I'm happy to bat... Anywhere as I always have been, you know, always put the team before myself. Um, obviously, Ravo's been missing for us the last couple of evening league games. I've kind of been pushed back up the top of the order there, so I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy batting there. Come the weekend stuff, I'm probably batting a bit lower and. I'll just bat wherever I'm needed and hopefully between bowling well enough and batting well enough I've still got maybe an inch, inch or two in, in there hopefully I'd still like to represent Guernsey that's still my ambition um, so I'm, I'm, I'd like to think just adaptable enough that um, my, my primary skill is still my bowling but um, I can be dangerous with the bat if I'm coming down the lower order if, or like we are in the evening leagues now if they want me to go up top and try and give it a smack I'm, I'm happy to do that as well really.
2: It's always quite an interesting story, sort of how you became a bowler. Because I mean, like you say, I mean, I went on development tours to South Africa with you guys and what have you, and you were a wicketkeeper batsman, and you were what sixteen, seventeen, probably. at those Yeah, days? I was
3: still, still to the end of college, I was keeping wicket. So I left college at eighteen. I was still keeping wicket then. I went on my first Guernsey trip that was to Scotland. I went as a batsman, backup keeper on that trip. But having said that, that was kind of the changeover because. I wasn't really a keeper at that stage. I just started bowling. I think that was that was the kind of Jack Birkinshaw time and I don't know, I just got to that point. I think I kept growing and growing and I'd probably bowled a bit in the net. So I think I bowled a few in I started bowling in the legends yeah. down at Lamardi Cartre <laughs> there. A bit too quick for a yeah. wheelkeeper. <laughs> I think it just went from there. And I think, you know, then suddenly I'm playing I'm filling in for the first team. Stu throws you the ball, you get a couple of overs goes quite well the next week you get a couple more overs and then suddenly you're opening the bowling and it's <laughs> like where did this come from sort of thing so it just naturally happened with once again not really, not really being planned I don't think I've um, a plan to say right I'm going to stop keeping wicket I'm going to start bowling now It just kind of the keeping drifted and I started bowling more and I became more valuable to probably cope at that time as a as a bowler than as a wicket keeper so I think probably with Matt Oliver at the time you know before Matt we had Justin Furbrush so actually we're two really good keepers for probably I don't know ten fifteen years though, so that probably persuaded me to go down the bowling route more myself as, and maybe even the Guernsey route, and um, saw myself more as a, a better opportunity to get in the Guernsey side as, as a bowler who could bat or batsman who could bowl one, one of the two really. Did you sort of realise how quick you could bowl? Because I mean I, I mean
2: I used to go to nets with the Cobo first team, even though I wasn't sort of a regular in that. And I remember facing people like Blaine Keripal and Chris Mowendor, who were sort of decent, medium-fast bowlers, might have you. And I just remember you suddenly started bowling just off a few paces, might have you. I thought, that's hitting the bat harder than anyone else. Um, And obviously, you've shown in your Guernsey career how quick you can be. I mean, did
3: you even realise that until sort of quite late? I've never really... I think it's harder to judge it when you're bowling. I think it's easy to see someone bowling and go, well, that was quick. When you're bowling... I think there's only been a couple of times, I remember when we played the Sussex Academy at Blackstone in Sussex and it's a quick deck and I remember that day thinking, well, oh, like Kimbo was probably on near enough the 30-yard circle there and he, he, even he said, like, well, that's coming through sort of thing. So there's the odd occasion where you're in a really good rhythm and you just feel it's going through nicely. Other times you feel really sluggish you think, God, it feels a lot slower than what it actually is. I think... The one thing over my career, people have always said, is I bowl a heavy ball, so it hits the bat hard. And I think even now, I'm, I'm nowhere near as quick as I, I used to be. I still try and hit the pitch, and you know, hit that bat hard. Um, and that that's it, really. It just it's all effort. I, I've much shortened my run up a lot now. Um, it's just you know, just I've always just put in a hundred percent, really, and just try to yes, bowl in a good area, but just try to hit the, the pitch hard and make life difficult for the batsman. When it comes
2: to sort of 50 over stuff, when you've been playing international cricket, certainly down in um, Malaysia, I remember well you bowled some really good spells down there. Um, you've almost specialised in death bowling. I mean, you're, you'd, you'd open up, and I remember one game you bowled a side out for about 60 odd, but. Um, Certainly, probably the best spell I ever saw you bowl was as as a death bowler when we were in trouble um, down in Malaysia one time. Um, is that something you worked hard on, or is it sort of a, a
3: natural skill that just held you in, held you in good stead? Yeah, I mean, once again, it's trying to find that niche in the side. You've got to try and find a you've got to identify, especially as a Guernsey side. And going back then, we had a really strong side. You know, you had Stew, gritchy, Sav, Frithy, Ami. You had a really strong side. So you're always looking for that hole in the side of right. What role can I fulfil? And to be honest, I've never liked opening the bowling. Still to the day now even in the evening league, I hate bowling with a new shiny ball I find it slippery I just I do it because I have to but my preference has always been that first change bowler hit the pitch hard and then come back at the death and I've just always relished that period at the death and I find I, I probably change my action slightly I try and become a bit slingier, the way I hold the ball slightly different and I don't know it's just normally touch wood come to me quite easily that I've been able to bowl those Yorkers quite well and I don't know I've just yeah. I almost feel, I feel much more comfortable bowling at the death than I ever have at bowling at the start of the innings and I think you just, you either fall into that role or it kind of finds you and it it just kind of found me and um, I've enjoyed it ever since, I, you know, bowling at the death the other night, I enjoy it, I just feel that's my skill set, bowling at the death and bowling in the middle overs so um, yeah, I'd like to continue doing that but just try and still trying to get out of bowling with the new ball. But, but <laughs> you did. You did let Fifteen years later, I'm day. still having to do it. <laughs> I mean,
0: to be fair, looking out you know, from the boundary, you look like you're getting it through as well as anyone at the moment. Um, you know, you talk about eyeing up maybe one or two more interinsulas uh, if the body allows, um, or where, as the body allows. Um, do you still see? You know, that the bowling can be a you know major factor for you in terms of um, yeah contributing there. Yeah. In in all honesty, I wasn't
3: at some points. I wasn't sure if I was going to play cricket again, having come back last season after two full years out because of my knee to play cricket as a batsman. That seemed to go well, although it was just, i was still struggling. My body was still adapting. And then the aim this season was to slowly get into it, try and bowl, see how it goes. And to be honest, it's gone a lot better than I thought. Um, so that, that's great. Um, probably bowling a lot more overs than I thought I would. Um, but once again, that's good. The next stage is yes. i would like to take it from here, but I know myself. I need I need to get fitter. Um, cricket probably for me at the moment. I love it to death, and yes, I definitely want to play for Guernsey. But you know, as life goes on, it doesn't suddenly. When I was in my mid twenties, it was a be-all and end-all. I lived, breathed, and you know, cricket. That that was my my true love. Obviously, now with the three kids, married, job. It becomes slightly different that almost I can enjoy my cricket a bit more. You know, the other stuff's my priority now. And then the cricket comes after that. But as I say, this season's gone better than expected so far. Um, Hopefully I'll be in contention come the end of the summer. That's definitely my my goal. And then, yeah, I'll still be around next season. It'd be great if things could go back to normal. I'd love to get back playing in the Channel Island League again. Um, Hopefully there'd be a Guernsey tournament to work towards. Um, You know, this, this year's kind of been... I've always wanted to play but it's that motivation now my motivation is still to be playing at the highest level to play for Guernsey and without the insurance has obviously been arranged recently but I always like to work towards that target whether it's insurance year, that Guernsey tournament and work back from that and kind of really target it so now that the insurance is in the, in the book that's that's what I'm going to be aiming for um, up until that point it was kind of a, no one really knew what's happening in the season it was almost comfortable playing at club cricket level but I just really wanted that goal of once again trying to get in the in the Guernsey squad which hopefully I can can do come that interinsula.
2: Well like you say you have been injured so you sort of haven't played as much cricket as the other guys for the last couple of years but do you get them feeling from sort of Ireland squad members and what have you they can't wait to play different faces again because I mean it, it has been just domestically based for basically 18 months
3: now. Yeah definitely I mean it, it's we got good club cricket over here but it does become a bit repetitive you know it's the same faces between evenings and and weekends that's where we really miss the Channel Island League because I think everyone raises the bar when it comes to that you get that competitive edge obviously playing the the jersey lads and it's also a good measure of your skill set because you get to see the top jersey players the ones who do play in jersey and you measure yourself up against them You, you suddenly gauge right how far off are we here you know what's our team shaping up like for the you know the next time we play them how are they shaping up um so, yeah, yeah, I guess there'll be an element of mystery when um, when yeah, we get into I mean, that into, into in August. Definitely. I mean, I, I imagine we'll probably know 80% of their side. It's still going to be your, your Stevenson's, your John T. Jenner's, you know, Corey Bissons, um, but they might have one or two new faces. But so so might we because, um, you know, your likes of you know, Bish have come on massively. Um, you know, Lucas has been in and around the last few years. Um, Scored a lot of runs this year, so then he's pushing it for a spot. Um, you know, hopefully we get the likes of you know I know Jason Martin's playing a lot of football at the moment, but hopefully we get him back playing some cricket at some point, and he he's available for it. So he's you know he's one of the best keepers we've had as an island. You know he's he's, he's class as any as anyone would say. Um, so, yeah, I think you're, you're, the squads are probably going to be 80% similar to how they have been in previous years and there'll be new faces looking to push their way in, really. Um, just sort of looking a bit more to the future, is there anything you think sort of Guernsey cricket
2: could improve on or change to help sort of, perhaps looking more towards the island squad, but to, to help develop more players and have an even bigger sort of pool of players to choose from?
3: Yeah, I think they've put, made a good step this year. Obviously, Savs is involved now, which I think is, you know, a really good step in the right direction. You know, we've... I think the problem is we, through the ICC where a lot of our funding comes, we're so reliant on that, but it's feast or famine with the ICC, they've obviously shortened the World Cricket League structure, you never quite know where you are, what you've got coming up, so it's very hard to then invest in say a full-time coach when you might not have any tournament cricket for two years and what, what are Then you playing for an inch or once a year that doesn't the, you know the cost benefit to that doesn't really stack up so we've kind of been lurching between the two do we go down another full-time coach do we go down back to the days of when you had a Dave Hurst or a Desert doing the island manager role and at the moment I guess we're kind of in between where you've got Sam's as the online on-island head coach and then you've still got Pasty in the background who I know is gagging to get back over here but I mean since taking on the role 18 months ago (laughs) we've (laughs) we've not seen him so it'll be interesting to see how that goes forward I think the good thing that Savs has done this year is kind of create that A team where you've got that level under the first team which I think a few guys at the start kind of poo-pooed a bit it's like well do I really want to be involved in that but then you look at the guys who are in that now you know you're Ben Martin Martindale Bradley, Adam Wakeford um, you know CJ Peatfield. actually there's some really good cricketers in there, and it's suddenly I think for the top island squad, it suddenly makes you think, right, well, there's actually guys behind us now that are pushing for our spots, because when it was just one big squad of, say, 24 or whatever it was, 20 players, firstly it was unmanageable, because you did turn up at nets, so just be way too much going on, you'd be like, in and out of a net, gone like that, so now it's much more specialised, you get much more time there, plus the second tier get their time so everyone's getting more cricket but they're also pushing each other which has been really good Um and then yeah I, to be honest I think Guernsey on at the lower rungs does an absolutely brilliant job I know Furby's doing a great job with the likes of Lee Forshaw and Deck in the junior sections you know they're going into all the schools I think that we, we get as much out of local cricket and trying to get the youngsters involved as we possibly can do really that the, the only issue is you're always competing against other sports and you know football it seems to be an eleven month twelve month sport of the year. you know in the old days, you'd have your cricket season, your football season now it all merges into 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 one, so kids at a much younger age starting to have to pick and choose between what they want to do um you then get to that age where people head off to university. That's always a time when you lose a lot of guys or you go to university and give up or stay in the u k so I think Guernsey does pretty well for for what we can um yeah I guess just at some stage it'd be great to get back in that which I was so fortunate to do when we went to the places like Malaysia and Singapore get back into that World Cricket League scenario playing 50 over cricket and have those big tours which it almost sells cricket to the island because youngsters and go wow I'd love to go to Malaysia for two weeks and play cricket and it really sells it I mean that's unfortunately what we have been missing the last the last few years um, especially just the European stuff or nothing at all really.
1: Well, yeah, I must say it was an amazing innings by Jamie. I, I was—I I missed the first two and a half overs of the match, got stuck in the traffic. You've got to go around almost via Cornwall to get to the KG5 these days, and um, <laughs> arrived there. And I looked at the scorecard and, w- and went, "What? What's going on here?" And of course, I've never seen anything like it. But Jamie's fifty came up off the last ball of the fortieth, the fourth over absolutely amazing he was smashing poor old Max and Charles Vosel to all parts um it's incredible when you think you look back at you know the old scorecards even these scorecards of in the 60s and 70s and particularly in the 60s when the grass was very much longer and the boundaries were perhaps a bit longer in some areas you know a, a score of 60 or 70 often won the day you know but you know 197 as it was originally um, before it got it was reduced to 190 on, after the umpires checked the books. I mean, it's phenomenal scoring and um, I wish I'd played with these bats. I must have. <laughs> 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 I mean, these bats really are incredible. You get full value for your hit these days.
0: Yeah, that, that outfield is absolutely flying at the moment. <laughs> yeah. You only
2: do a little, little nick to get a four. If you beat the field, you're basically getting four these days unless it goes over the top of six. But yeah, I mean, like Rob said, Jamie's innings, certainly at the start, it was, it was one of those where you just keep checking the scoreboard, thinking, Is, that can't be right, because they were so far... I mean, to be honest, Kobo should have scored 230. With the start they had, they were about 100 odd, off eight overs, and they should have scored 230. Uh, they still had enough runs to win, but yeah, some, of the, some of the evening league batting, I've seen so far, I think, has got the bowlers wanting to get onto that grass quickly and get, get a bit of seam movement going, I think.
0: Now as things start to get moving sporting-wise over in England it's been great to see some of our local stars returning to competition uh, further afield one of those is triathlete Megan Chapel uh, who's based in London now but has a full slate of competition planned this summer including the Jersey Triathlon next month and the big Granite Man event here on home soil at the end of the summer uh, she raced for the first time uh, this year at the weekend at the large-scale Leeds Triathlon finishing 8th overall out of a field of close to 350 athletes in in the race, uh, which sat just below the Elite World Series event, which took place at the same location. Uh, I caught up with her and began by asking just what it was like to be back competing at such a big event.
4: It was the first race that I'd really done since Dorney last year. Um, I came third in that one, but it was still, it was, uh, COVID was quite rife at that time. So it wasn't a proper race. It didn't feel the same. There was no atmosphere down there. So Leeds was just a real great race for that respect. It felt like a uh, racing is back, which was so nice. Um so yeah I, I travelled down on the Saturday. It was it was a bit strange because I was everyone from Guernsey wasn't able to go um because there's still restrictions. So I was I went down on my own and didn't really know anyone. So that was a bit strange from the start. Um I was very nervous I think having not raced for a bit properly. And I've been putting in some really hard training recently. So I really wanted it to go well. And I think just putting more pressure on myself. Um, But yeah, I think the race went well. Um, I did enjoy it a lot more once I'd already got on the start line and everything sort of, the nerves seemed to fade away quite quickly, which is good. You just have to get your head down and and make sure you can execute it as well as you know you can. So
0: Fantastic. And yeah, as you say, a, a little while... Um, kind of off the horse, if you like. Uh, I mean, you talk about the nerves there, but how how exciting was it just to be able to kind of finally put some of that training into practice?
4: Yeah, it, it was brilliant. It's such a good event. I did it in 2019 um, and it slightly changed the course, um, but most of it was the same. The swim was the same. Uh, the bike was the same, but the run was slightly different. The run now is kept within the park, Roundhay Park, um, and it was difficult to say the least. It was quite hilly and it was on like a, a dirt track. Um, so everyone was in their nice snazzy trainers and it, they, it was really, you needed trail shoes to be honest. It was um, a really difficult run, but um, I think my run was actually the strongest uh, discipline out of um, the three. So yeah, I think some hard work's been showing there.
0: Can you were eighth overall, did you feel sort of satisfied with that ample reward for your efforts?
4: yeah definitely i think you always look back and think oh i could have done this better i could have done that better i i messed up my second transition i made a real rookie error and um because there there's about three thousand people participating i think over the whole weekend so the transition area is massive it's it's so big so there's rows and rows of um racks for your bike and i basically went running past mine in the fluster of it all um so lost about a minute there and and um to basically qualify for age group you need to be top four and obviously i was fifth in my age group so i i went back after the race and sort of looked and compared and realized you know if i hadn't lost that minute i would have come fourth and it's just one of those things but they always say that the transitions are the fourth discipline so yeah that really does ring home for me um but yeah overall very happy
0: yeah and obviously you're based away now but um well, I suppose, you, yeah, as you say, you would, would have had some, some Guernsey uh, compatriots there to, to kind of be a part of it. But um, do, you still feel like you're, you're, do you still feel like you're very much part of the Guernsey fold?
4: Massively, yeah. I've, I've got so many good friends that I've just built up over, over the past few years from triathlon. Um, yeah, it was a shame to not have them there. Um, and it's a shame to not also be able to be racing in, in Guernsey much this year. There's so many great events put on by the Tri Club um which are always brilliant especially leading up if you are going away but it's it's great for people locally to have those extra races to just get into the gist of things and also put hard work to practice so yeah i mean it's, it's quite a bit harder in the uk to find those frequent races especially now with covid it's so hard to find um races because everyone's got um they they roll over from last year so everything is booked up basically um but yeah missing my guernsey my guernsey um friends for sure
0: i bet but you've got a couple of plans to to get back to the islands um perhaps we'll come on to granite man in a minute but um the jersey triathlon in july is that very much a a target for you at the moment
4: Yeah, I've done that race, I think, three times already. Um, So this will be my fourth time. So becoming a bit of an expert in it, hopefully. (laughs) Um, It's a great race. I managed to take the win last year, which I think was a bit of a surprise, to be honest. So I feel like there's a bit of pressure. (laughs) this year again um, to do well. So we'll see how it goes. Um, my family are also coming over, which will be really nice as well. And to see, um, I think that'll be the first time I see everyone from Guernsey again. I know a lot of my Guernsey friends are racing. So yeah, it'll be awesome. It's a great race. Um, so yeah, second one of the season, it'll be really good.
0: Okay. And, yeah, I mean, I remember watching you in uh, Gibraltar claiming that, that that silver, a fantastic effort there. And, and you were sort of still pretty new face, I guess, to a kind of representative uh, triathlon if you like but 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 now kind of a couple of years on and obviously you put a lot of work in um sort of very much the the island front runner does does that bring a bit of extra pressure as you say has that sort of changed or have you to sort of change your mentality to to kind of adapt to that position
4: yeah I suppose it does um you always put so much pressure on yourself as well I think um it's 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 training day to day and then you just want to put your hard work to practice and show what you can do i think triathlon is one of those sports where there's so many elements that can easily go wrong and then that's your race over you know even if you get a puncture if you mess up your transition it's just those minor details that make a massive difference so executing on the day is a different thing to actually performing and training well so yeah i I do put pressure on myself because you know that there's so many areas that can go wrong. So once you finish that line, that past that crossing line, it's, yeah, it's a huge relief, I think.
0: And what's it been like for you, um, I guess, coming into the sport a few years ago? Uh, could you have sort of foreseen that you'd you'd be in this situation where you, you'd be taking it kind of so seriously and, and, and having these kind of fantastic results um, sort of within reach, if you like?
4: No, to be honest, I never expected it. Um, I... I think I did my first triathlon with try try um probably when I was 19, I think, and now 24. Um, yeah, I think it, the amount I've developed and progressed over the last sort of four or five years is yeah, more than I'd ever would have imagined. I think you know, I don't get me wrong, I have put a lot of hard work into my training, and um, that definitely pays off when you do have that consistent training. So yeah, it has been a bit of a surprise, but don't get me wrong, it hasn't been easy to sort of see these in improvements and stuff.
0: Yeah, and I gather you're working with uh, with Josh Lewis, who's um, obviously Guernsey's sort of leading male triathlete and and a and a coach now. Um, wh- what's it like to work with him? How, how much sort of benefit are you getting from from his? Um... I guess, yeah, his expertise.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's brilliant. So it's it's Josh and another one of his teammates from, um, in Wales. Yes, and his name is, um, so they're both incredible athletes to have that sort of mentoring and coaching um, is brilliant, to be honest. I haven't really been coached over the last four years. Alan Alan Murray's always helped me out a lot, but um, to have a a proper coach now, it it has clearly shown to pay off. so, yeah, they're, they're always um, a quick phone call away or a message away to, to help with anything, really, um, whether it be you know, the most recent thing is they're helping me with my bike set up. Um, and, yeah, it, it's just so beneficial to have them um, to there to answer any questions when you need them.
0: Yeah, and is it quite nice, obviously, for, for, to be working with someone like Josh, who's obviously from Guernsey as well, um, and, and based away now too, but um, yeah, to, to, I guess, have that sort of understanding of where you're coming from, um, in terms of experience and, and, and sort of taking, well, making the move from, from these local events to, to the bigger stuff in the UK?
4: Yeah, massively. I think he 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 just gets it as well. He he's obviously a go athlete, and made made move away as well. So obviously, you know, he's he's a different kettle of fish. He's a pro athlete, so it is his life really. He trains and um, coaches. Obviously, that is all consuming. So, um, but yeah, it to uh, look up to him for sure. Um, for you know, guidance and, and expertise is, is amazing, really.
0: And I mentioned uh, the Granite Man. That's the big event in the local calendar uh, this season. I guess a, a, yeah, a particularly sort of unique challenge in terms of Island Triathlon. Are you going to be on the start line for that?
4: I will be, yeah. So I, I think I entered in 2019. Um, but after the Island Games, I actually got a stress fracture. So I had to take some time out and that overlapped with um the Granite Man that I had entered so my entry is rolled over from then. Um so yeah, it'd be really good to race. So I've only done one seventy point three before. Um so yeah, it's quite iconic, I suppose, in Guernsey. It's it's I've always seen it looks like a brilliant race. So yeah, look forward to that one too, some a longer racing at the end of the year as well. It's just a bit of a finish off for the season.
0: Guernsey triathlete Megan Chapel, there. Uh, fingers crossed that travel restrictions allow her and the rest of the Guernsey athletes coming from here to get across to Jersey next month. I mean, certainly, yeah, the, the, the travel restrictions are, are seeming to be sort of slightly rode back at the moment. The COVID rates um, in parts of England uh, are, are sending us moving in the wrong direction, which, well, it'll be a concern not just to individuals, but to some of our big sports teams.
1: Um, certainly, Tony. Um, I can imagine the people at Raiders and Guernsey FC uh, alarmed at the potential thought of um, more restrictions being brought back in, and the fact that um, we may well have quarantine reintroduced in Guernsey, and, um, and even the thought of having you know having to produce negative tests on arrival. Because if that is the case, going um, at the end of the summer. Um, I can't really see um, either of the teams um, playing in the UK leagues, which would be an absolute disaster after the last season and a half we've had. Um, But the signs aren't good, that's for sure. And um, so let's hope um, the UK can get its act together and um, something can be um, sorted on that front.
0: Yeah, because I mean, GFC in particular made quite a sage decision in the end, didn't they? To to basically call call it off before it had begun. Um, and not to, to try and even play a few games with that you know, that risk I guess that was always sort of looming over that things would be canned. Um I wonder whether they'll have the same attitude, you know, if, if things are looking like this looking like that this time or, or whether there'll be a bit more desperation to get out there. And you
1: have to wonder what the um the you know the Istmin League's view on the whole thing is as well. I mean, they were very accommodating last year, very, very helpful to the Green Lions, which shows the respect they've got for Martin Tish's outfit. Um but if we were to drop out again or we were st- to ask for multiple postponements and a, a lot of away days at the start of the season. Some of them might be starting to think, hold on, Guernsey are a bit too much trouble for um, for us. And um, I don't know, it's a, it's a bit of concern. And it is a concern, particularly when you consider, you you fully expect Jersey will be ploughing on, Jersey Bulls will, will go ahead and play their full season. The Jersey Reds will do as well because of the a slightly easier um, attitude to um, travel over there. Um, We seem to be very, very um, touchy on this, you know, and um, understandably it's worked well so far, but any sort of restrictions, um, it could be very damaging to the projects.
0: Before we go, we'll have a quick look ahead to the weekend. But first, um, Rob, Guernsey Sport um, is mourning the loss of another true character
1: yeah it's incredible you know the last month has been awful for our um, own guernsey sport we lost some real characters and some really important people um this time it's jim jamino um the man you could say mr horse racing has been for many many years a wonderful guernsey character very funny man very hard working um the race club uh, so indebted to him you know he is um you wonder whether the fact that Jim is no longer around, whether the Guernsey race club with their financial issues they've had and their short numbers in terms of, um, actual, um, committee people and expertise will be able to rescue racing when it, when we can start that again, probably next year in 2022. Um, Jim had so much knowledge and he spent so much time down there, you know, and, um, very sad. end cause he's one of the great Guernsey and, um, there aren't many of those around.
0: Yeah, I mean, and not just horse racing. Hey, we you know, oh, in he, the he farming was, yeah. community
1: as well. And of course, he will be he'll be badly missed in Jersey as well. He was a huge character in Jersey, um, where he until recent, very recent times, he still um, had horses trained, and so ran. You know, was always down there watching his horses um, compete. Um, and in many many years ago of course he was a jockey himself you know um, when you see the size of the guy and he was a big man you wonder you know how he was a jockey he certainly wasn't um, a small jockey but he was a fantastic um, servant to local sport and horse racing
0: yeah I spoke to him a few times over the years uh, yeah about about the horse racing stuff and I can I can you know just thinking about I can hear his voice it's such a fantastic kind of uh tone and just the use of language. Yeah, I
1: had a pleasure of uh, actually meeting up with Trevor Gay and Jim and Tom bugle another great Guernsey um horse trainer going back probably 5 or 6 years at Tom's farm in in St Saviour's. I think it was St Saviour's close um around the cattle and Saviour's border. And I think Trevor will bear, bear me out on this one. It was the most hilarious hour I've ever spent of two old Guernsmen chewing the cud about this, that and the other. Um, hilarious guys. And um, <laughs> you just wouldn't believe the stuff they come out come out with. But it was all in great humour. And um, they had so many experiences, these people. So many experiences. And, but they were prepared to work hard. Really work hard. I, I, we will
0: really miss them. Yeah, really sad news and a uh, great loss to, to to Racing the Islanders and to Guernsey itself, of course. Right, before we go, let's have a quick look ahead to the weekend then. There's a, a very big football match. Uh, we'll come on to that in a second, but uh, just the cricket, Gareth, is that where you're going to be? Yeah,
2: I'm going to be at uh, KG5 on Saturday. It's um top-of-the-table clash in the weekend championship. Wanderers, Irregulars uh, up against Griffins. Um, and it'll be interesting who comes out on top of that one because I mean there's one more round of fixtures after this one, but um, it could go a long way to deciding the title. And they've got there's a lot of batsmen in form on both sides, so I think probably who steps up with the ball is probably the will come out on top of that one.
1: Who will get the hundreds this weekend?
2: <laughs> <laughs> At a guess, um, <laughs> probably a Letitia of one one caliber. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if um, in 50 overs at the KG5, if it's a nice sunny day, it could be 300 plus, chasing 300 plus. And
0: the first team football season uh, finally draws to a close on Whoopee. Saturday. Uh, the Guernsey FA Cup final at the Corbett Field. I think I'll be setting off at about 8am to get to that one on time, having got there just up to kick off at the Jeremy final last week. Um, Rob, what's your feeling about this one?
1: Well, there'll be a lot of traffic outside <laughs> the Corbett Field um, coming down from Capels down to the ground or coming the other way you can rest assured um, Helicopter's probably the best way to it go It may there. well be yeah um, yeah at um, finally the end of the season um, FA Cup for time and um, Sylvans against the Martins Repeat of the game from six years ago which Saints won 3-1 was looking back Earlier, about the, the, top, the team they had out, and to be honest, I was amazed that they won the, won the competition with the team they had out. Um, um, only a couple of survivors from that uh, Chris Lanuri and um, Zach Chatterton. Um, they got a few missing this weekend, Saints, so there's a, there's a foot in the door there for Sylvans who've held them three times this year, twice in the league and once in the Jeremy. They're actually still level at 90 minutes. Um, as I say, much depends on Kyle again, you know, you know, if they can get ahead, they've got a chance. But, as I say, Saints take some, they've got the bit between the teeth. Um, Martin de calls them a runaway train. Well, they, well, I'm not sure they're a runaway train, but they're certainly a very, very strong locomotive, that's for sure. Um, potentially, de- it could be a derailment, um, but um, as I say, I think it would require um, a, a couple of Kyle specials to um, to do that. And while we're on the football um, um, topic, um, I believe you know, it's good to see that Manza really got the getting stuck into trying to to, to continue next season with a very positive um, social media campaign this week. Have you signed up? Uh, no, I think I'm a bit past that. But I, um, but one thing I have picked up, I'm not sure it's 100% true, but the rumours are that Craig Young it will not be part of the Manza team next year, um, who was their captain, of course. Um I'm hearing he's actually um, decided that he's going to probably retire. And in that's the case, well, but I pay tribute to a terrific player because he has been brilliant for the last 15 years. Wonderful player. And he, you know, it was good to see that he got that moment as lifting the Marathi vase a few years back at the track. He really was, you know, whether it was at North, Guernsey, or Bells, you know, he was just all action, great heart. Um, and um, never say die, you know. Even this past season, he's played most of these games with absolutely busted knees. And you could see the bloke's in agony. But he keeps going, he keeps going. Oh, I'll give it another five minutes. And and he always seems to get through. But he was, um, in recent times, he really has struggling. You felt for him. But I mean, if it is his last, if he, if he has gone, we ought to all pay tribute to him because he's been a brilliant player.
0: Yeah, very enjoyable player to watch in, uh, in his prime. Yeah, for sure. And Gareth... Uh... Summer is definitely here because uh, tennis has moved onto the grass and Heather Watson's got a win. Uh, for, for the first time since February, we've actually been waiting on a Heather result and it came through
2: that she won, which was it's just nice to see her back. But no, hopefully now that um, it is a grass court season and she's back on sort of home soil as, as in Britain, um, she might get a bit of a run going with um, a few tournaments over the coming weeks. But you know, it's certainly nice to see her back on
0: on the winning streak yeah so one to watch over the weekend Uh, yeah lots going on then we'll have uh, well I'll be there on Saturday at the FA Cup Final with the camera so we'll have some highlights from that the Corbett Field it kicks off the FA Cup Final at three o'clock that's right this one Uh, so watch out for that Um, yeah busy one as I say we'll be back next Thursday uh, with another roundup of everything that's uh, important and worth talking about in local sport Uh, for now though thanks very much guys Uh, enjoy the weekend cheers Cheers, Tony